0: 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Mark Reardon. All the spending, all the regulating, turning off the oil and gas, bigots, all these things that chickens have cut on the roost. The Mark Reardon Show.
2: You can lead a man to the presidency, but you can't make him think. He'll be got games. Of Putin's
3: kleptocracy. Yeah.
0: This is the Mark Reardon Show.
3: Oh, my God. We got another one for the open today. You ready? Here we go. I told Abby we got to slide this one in here. This is um, Mayor Pete. Tell me that this doesn't fit perfectly for the start of this show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I
4: will say that there have been so many accomplishments under this administration. It can be difficult to list them in a distilled Oh, yes.
3: oh pri- So difficult, Mayor Pete. So damn difficult. Uh, Let me just start this before we get into the politics, before we get into the balloon, before we get into... The devil worship at the Grammys. All of those things will be covered here this afternoon. Devil I, worship. I, Did you not see that? No. Oh, my God. Seriously. Just, Sam uh, Smith and um, somebody else who used to be a man or a woman. I don't know what it is. I get a little confused, but we'll get to that here in a second. But I just have to start because I sent Sue a message. You know, Fred is gone again <laughs> this week. <laughs> He's out, and that's not a good thing How for us, right? No. Uh, thank you, Kenny. None of us like. Uh, however, um, you know, it's a beautiful day, right? Gorgeous. So roundabout, let's see what time this was, 1214 this afternoon, <laughs> I said, I mean, what would they really do to us, Sue, if we just both said, F it today? It's too nice to go into work. Yeah. Where the hell would they find someone to do the show, right? I yeah. don't, eh, would they? And Fred did the, or I'm sorry, Sue did the right thing because she cited Abby as an issue that we shouldn't do that. If yeah. you called in, you know, played hooky, Abby would be stuck with Brad no Young. Because there's no Although, you know, if you think about it, Abby might want to work with Brad Young as opposed to me. Think about it. Fred's no, gone. Didn't I'm a think little. think about that. Uh, yeah, exactly. But no, we'll stay. We'll do the show. Yeah. So.
5: However, boy, you know what was great? Was it yesterday that was great? Because my days are all yeah, running together. It was, really nice. was yeah. still stunning.
3: Beautiful, beautiful weather
5: yesterday. And had the sun, you know, stayed, I might have been convinced. But well, when it gets well,
3: cloudy, then I'm like, wah, wah. Yeah, that's true. But let's maybe pick a day in the spring and then just not show up. Maybe we'll see if we can get Fred <laughs> okay. and Abby to join no, us You're going to well. get me
5: fired.
3: Uh, eh, really? Are they gonna, what are they going to do? I that's what gonna, I'm going to throw the challenge us, flag, that's see that's if they fire I'm us. I'm, I'm not sure that would really happen. All right. So the, the big story, of course, over the weekend was as we left here, we did the roundtable on Friday. We had the balloon, uh, all the sighting you might remember Congresswoman Wagner chimed in in the 4 o'clock hour. She was kind of worked up about it and, you know, a lot of questions as we went into the weekend. I have to just say this before I get into some broader issues regarding the balloon. And I think I've told you that my, my daughter, who's almost 8, she'll be 8, 4 weeks from tomorrow, she gets things into her mind and, you know, she can't get away from them. Yeah. So perfect example is she gets stuck outside of our house one day when the power was out and the tornado sirens were going off. Ooh. She was with my wife's aunt and now if it even looks like rain or certainly when the sirens, they, they flipped the switch the other morning. Remember on the sirens mm-hmm. early? Yeah. So Thursday morning, she rolls out of the bedroom, and she's freaked out about that. So she does have a little bit of this stuff, and I, some of this is normal with kids, and I get that. But she pays attention. These kids, they pay attention. Even when you think they're not paying attention, they're paying attention. So Friday night, I get home, and she had known about the balloon. And I think it was because we were watching Fox on uh, Friday morning before she went to school. I'm trying to get her educated more than maybe they might in the Rockwood School District. Kidding kidding so she sees the balloon i'm usually honest you know unless there's death and destruction on we're not going to show her that the shootings uh, then you'll
5: tell her what's really going on i'm
3: like well that you know and the one thing that that i had here's what i had to do before i got canceled before she gets suspended from school think about this because i'm talking about the um the chinese balloon trying to explain it to her you know the chinese are 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 not our friends right the the Chai coms are not our friends however if you are, so then she's like, Yeah, I don't like the Chinese. I'm like, Whoa, oh, dear reel oh, slow, slow back. down slow because... because, yes, inappropriate. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, this so, is wow, it's complicated. Yes, being a parent it really is. in a woke world is very complicated. Not that that's appropriate, you get my point. I, yes. to, I was very clear. I'm like, yes. No, the people who are here who are from you know, uh, China or wherever they want to make a better life for themselves. Uh, it's just the government. So, trying to explain go. geopolitics to an eight year old sometimes a little little tricky but i bring it up because she's talking about the balloon and she says stuff like what if they drop you know poison on us or a bomb i'm like okay she's got this and that her was head. her yeah. thought oh yeah now whether or not wow this is what you don't know were people talking about it at school right, uh, we're right. Te- who knows i have no idea so that's friday night right friday night Saturday comes along. She doesn't mention anything about the balloon. Oh, my God. She ends up going. We had dinner plans on Saturday night, went to the tavern. In oh, that's Valley right.
5: Park. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah,
3: that place is so good, too, really. I'll, talk, I'll get All back right. to that here in a second. Well, so she goes to my um, my wife's aunt, lives here in town, Auntie Kit, and she wanted to do a sleepover at Auntie Kit. So she does a sleepover. She comes back yesterday, midday. Everything's fine. Nothing's mentioned. Nothing's mentioned. The whole day goes by. And at this point, I'm aware, you know, what had happened with the balloon. And that that it, was, mm-hmm. it was taken down. This guy, sky. Right. So we um, were wrapping up the day yesterday. She wants to go in the hot tub. I'm like, all right, let's go. We do this yeah. kind of a, a daddy-daughter routine. We go in the hot tub. Now, what I like to do is I like to play poker on my phone in the hot tub and, and relax. What right? could go wrong? Yes. Well, and I've taught she knows how to play hold'em because of that. She's actually very good at it. But last night, we get in. We're, we're talking about a few things. And then there's some silence. And, and I think at this point I was playing poker. And just a little bit of silence like this. And she goes, So they shot down the balloon, huh? (laughs) My gosh, like, Mark Reardon! I'm like, yes, they did, and uh, she was paying attention. She had seen that at Anti that Kids hilarious. yesterday morning. Now, w- one of the things I-, I don't know all of the answers here. You know, I'm I'm gonna sit here and I can maybe lie to you, which I'm a talk show host, so I do that on a regular basis. Let's keep that in mind. The facts don't matter, but uh, do I know? I can't sit here and I-, I suppose I can hammer on the Biden administration for doing the wrong thing. Did they do the wrong thing? It sounds to me like the president told the military on Wednesday, shoot. Damn thing down, right? Now they didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? I don't know. And I think it's goofy that they didn't do it and they let it cross the whole country and it's weird. Now, did they get a bunch of um, you know, recon? Well, I I I fly over the country all the time and I could take some pictures and I don't know what kind of equipment they had on there. I'm not trying to let the Chinese off the hook. What I'm trying to say is (laughs) At this point, I don't know where to assign the blame. However, Uh, let's take that out of the mix just for a minute because I think we need to look into this. And it makes no sense whatsoever that... We Because I don't know if you saw this. Some of the people, uh, Joe Scarborough and a couple others, the talking points on Saturday were this. I, I looked on Twitter just a little bit. And here's what I saw from the defenders of this administration. Well, all you smart Republicans out there didn't realize that the plan, the master plan from the Biden administration was to neutralize the electronics. Let it just fly across the whole country so you all get a big show in Missouri and you could talk about it during the Reardon Roundtable. table. And then we bring it down and we get all that equipment. Wait a second. That didn't work because we blew the damn thing well, up. So I, that that talking point went uh, by the wayside very, very quickly. And it didn't seem to be an important part of uh, of the equation. But I said this to a friend on Friday night. You know, we were talking about this. My friend Rick in Las Vegas. Mm. And like, You would at least admit, and you know this, I've established, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy, you'd at least admit on Friday night, the thing had just passed over the middle of the country, it comes from Montana, we're talking about it, people are flashing pictures or taking pictures in St. Louis. At the very least, no matter what you think might be the case, it's kind of weird. And then- It is weird. But beyond that, then the other thing that comes out is there's another one that's going through Latin America. So at this point, Friday night, I'm like, okay, and I said to Rick, I said, you would at least acknowledge that this is weird. He goes, yeah, it's weird. So- if you think it's weird, and I think it's weird, and Sue, so you think it's weird, it's weird. What do the weirdos think, and how are they oh, reacting? Boy, because really I was good... ready to go to my my friend Andrew Mullins as a prepper. Essentially, I, he's got all kinds of you know tactical weapons and gear and food and water. And I'm like, I'm ready to go. You know, this thing's shooting out poisonous gas. I'm going to his house because that's where I would go during the zombie apocalypse. But you know that the minds of people, especially because you don't have good answers and you have the administration sort of confusing us with its answers about why they didn't and shoot down. And why don't they just
5: tell us what the deal is? I, I what, what's
3: the big deal? I don't know. I really don't. And, when you know, it was Jane Duker who said, listen, they
5: wouldn't let me fly anything in that airspace. Why in the world would they let China? And I thought, you know, that's a really good point I had never thought about. Well,
3: and then there's information that this may have happened before. And the other thing that's really confusing is, are you telling me, and I think you are okay. When I say you, the the administration, you're telling me that this thing, you had this short window, right, when it was up by Alaska uh-huh. to shoot it down, and at that point, you decide not to do it. And the only way that we found out about this is some dudes in Montana started taking pictures and sent it to the National Weather Service and others, saying, "Hey, is what, this the what's up with balloon? that?" Right? Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we were just going to kind of let it just play oh, out and assume gosh. that people weren't going to see it now. I can assure you that we have some answers to your questions here this afternoon on The Mark Reardon Show, because we already had this. Wait, i got to time this right. Hold on. Hold on. All right, Hold on. Let's see if I get this right. Okay, here we go. This is professional radio, ladies and gentlemen.
4: Uh, I will say that there have been so many accomplishments under this administration, it can be difficult to list them in a distilled way. Okay. <laughs> right. did great. Yeah, I had to
3: get Kenny in there. But Mayor Pete's on top of the balloon, too. Well,
4: again, the president gave instructions to have it uh, handled, to have it shot down in a way that was safe. Uh, as you may have seen, there's reporting now that the debris field that was created by this balloon when it was shot down was about seven miles long. And so anytime the military is considering an operation like that, they have to consider the safety of the American people. Uh, the president called for this to be dealt with in a way that uh, balanced all of the different risks. That's exactly what happened. Military did a terrific okay. job.
3: A couple questions. Why do we care what he's? I guess he's, he was on one of the Sunday talk shows and he wants to be president. So that's why we care what Mayor Pete has to I say. Guess. Uh, ooh, I didn't see this. Let me see. I'm going to take a little bit of a this is like pressing the roulette wheel. OK, because it's Trump. But here we go.
1: As president,
2: I took the most dramatic action of any administration to curtail China's ability to conduct espionage in the United States. And when I'm back in the White House, those efforts will be expanded in a very, very big way. Instead of hunting down Republicans, a reformed FBI and Justice Department
3: will be hunting down Chinese spies. Uh, The president just, he seems like he's just lacking something these days. I don't know what it is. He just doesn't have, you know, the same... Uh, energy level and the messages that he's sending out. And there's a couple of things along these lines today. Um, I believe that Mr. Jennings, Scott Jennings, is going to be a guest on the show tomorrow. Uh, You had uh, ABC Washington Post poll that shows that most people in this country, six in 10 people, 62 percent of people in this country would be dissatisfied or even angry if it's Trump versus Biden again right because they don't want that yes. that's not what the country yes. wants right now on the Biden front this is interesting as well because the New York Times just savaged our vice president in a front page article today talking about the differences and it, what's funny about this is it, it's essentially the same thing that we've been talking about for two years ever since they swore her in as vice president and the question is well what, what are we going to do when it comes not we but what are the Democrats going to do when it comes to 2024 because Because uh, She's a big problem. And this is this is a pretty big story here for The New York Times on a Monday to say some of the things that they did, because you can imagine that her office is is probably trying to figure out her craft, a proper response to this. Kamala Harris is trying to define her vice presidency, even if her allies are tired of waiting. Ms. Harris is struggling to carve out a lane for herself in what may be one of the most consequential periods in the vice presidency. Zolan Connell Youngs, Katie Rogers, Peter Baker, all teaming up for this New York Times report, Washington. Dun, dun, dun. Kamala Harris was frustrated. The text of a speech that she had been given to deliver in Chicago to the nation's biggest teachers' union was just another dreary, scripted talk that said little of any consequence. As Air Force Two made its way to the Midwest over the summer, the vice president told her staff she wanted to say something more significant, more direct. She brandished a Rolling Stone magazine article about the backlash against Florida school officials after new legislation barring the discussion of gender identity in the classroom. Yeah, go down that path. That's a smart move politically. The teachers she was about to address were on the front lines of the nation's culture wars. Ms. Harris told her staff they were the same ones on the front lines of school shootings, just blandly ticking through federal funding for education would not be enough. The plane was just an hour out from Chicago, but they said they needed to start, or she said they needed to start over. So they go through this whole thing about how she changed the um, the narrative, but Here's the part of the story. They made her sound really on top of things. We're going to shift the narrative. We've got to do something. have got to shake it up. This is the most important part of my vice presidency. Then they get to the real story here that everyone knows is the case anyway. The painful reality for Ms. Harris is that in private conversations over the last few months, and why they didn't lead with this, I have no idea. This is literally called bearing the lead. Dozens of Democrats in the White House. On Capitol Hill and around the nation, including some who helped put her on the party's 2020 tickets, said that she had not risen to the challenge of proving herself as a future leader of the party, much less the country. Even some Democrats, whom her own advisers referred reporters to for supportive quotes... <laughs> confided privately that they had lost hope in her. Ooh, that's never a good thing. No. You go to the Harris team and say, "Hey, we're doing this hit piece here." Or it's not even a hit piece. It's actually an accurate piece. They do hit pieces on Republicans. We're doing this story on the vice president. We kind of we want to balance this. We wouldn't do this for a Republican. We wouldn't ask Mike Pence's office or anyone else if they have someone who might speak highly of the vice president but hey in this case we're going to give you a shot here we're the new york times and guess what we're on your team so we know that so can you give us a few people who might say something nice and then they go to those people anybody and they, Anyone? they can't find anyone oh my gosh. most democrats interviewed who insisted on anonymity to avoid alienating the white house said flatly <laughs> we got nothing no, yeah or no there's no well you know if she flatly they did not think Ms. Harris could win the presidency in twenty twenty four. Some said the party's biggest challenge would be finding a way to sideline her without inflaming key democratic constituencies that would take offense. Who would take well, offense? Well you know
5: what you know what's heartening, I suppose, is the fact that they realize that. And that people are
3: willing to say it. Right. Well, I mean, they're barely able to say it. Let's be honest. Again, I started this whole segment of um, focusing on Harris by admitting we've we've all talked about this. We've talked about on this show. They've covered it on Fox. They've danced around it on CNN. Everybody knows that she cannot win and she's terrible at her job. It's just a matter of now. Now they're finally doing stories on it because they realize it's crisis time. So there you go. So our friend Cory Bush has invited Mike Brown Sr. to be her guest at the State of the Union tomorrow. That makes no sense whatsoever. Why would you invite the father of someone who reached into a patrol car when Darren Wilson was the officer, tried to get the gun, fought with the officer, had his whole situation Lied about by his friends and supporters in the sense that there was no hands up, don't shoot, and then charged the officer. We know that because of the witnesses that were brave enough to say what happened and also because of forensic evidence. But Corey Bush is going to bring Mike Brown Sr. because he led the way when it came to, um, you know, energizing the riots in 2014. That's outstanding. That's excellent that we'll have that tomorrow night. And I guess it should be no surprise. We've talked about... um, reparations from a variety of perspectives and i still shake my head when i hear discussion about this but these things are starting to get serious which is amazing john Morosky is with us this afternoon with real clear investigations wrote quite a bit on this recently that intrigued me john how are you this afternoon welcome back Hey, thank you so much. I'm doing great. Thanks talk, for having me on. Talked about this issue for many years as a, a as a talk show host, and I, I suppose, and you even sort of refer to this in the piece that back, you know, if you go back thirty, forty years ago, even twenty years ago, this stuff, most of us thought, well, it'll it'll never happen. How do you do this? How do you divvy up the uh, the money? Who's eligible? Boy, they're trying to figure that out right now in California, other in other places, aren't they? They are, and
2: more than a dozen cities are. Basically, launching their own reparations programs. California is uh, working on one. Uh, They have a task force that will make a final proposal, like June, July, this year. So we're going to know in uh, five months what that will spell out. And that one's probably going to be very ambitious, like nothing like most people have imagined. I think I think many people still aren't unaware what California is doing. But when they come, you know, they'll propose a a program, and it will be up to the legislature whether it's passed or not. So um, it's def- there's definitely going to be reparations in the United States. It may not be massive cash payments because the public fisc of these states just does not have enough. There just isn't enough money there. But there will be you know, very ambitious affirmative action type programs that will be based on rate, racially based benefits. And we're going to see it actually happen in one form or, or another. And it will be you know, across a variety of cities, probably more than one state. With different standards as to who, who qualifies and different uh, m- different benefits there'll be you know there'll be a certain amount of inconsistency and what that means for a federal program if one were ever to happen, I don't know um, but there will be partial, piecemeal programs all over the place
3: so when we're talking about california you know, california has a plan that may be in excess of one million in san francisco they're talking about a number of five million when we hear numbers like that is it your expectation that in the end that's not going to happen big checks because i i find that impossible but i guess this is what they want to do but it will be pared down in a different form would be your expectation or not i don't know
2: I can't imagine those kinds of uh, dollar figures actually being passed because um, I think it would cause a massive backlash, for one thing. And um, I also think that they just don't have enough money. But what it does do is it creates a kind of a, a baseline or a sets of bar as to uh, what at least some experts believe that black people are owed. And because black people won't be paid that amount, there's going to be this gap, this delta between what they're supposedly owed and what they're not being paid. This is going to cause some people to believe they're being ripped off. It's going to cause others to have, um, you know, had their expectations disappointed. Uh, Others will just think it's totally (coughs) absurd and ridiculous. And so, you know, again, you just have you won't even have a single standard or a single metric um, and it will just. You know, it'll just cause any, you know, just be a, a wide range of reactions from disbelief to confusion to disappointment. Yeah. But I have a feeling that there will be nobody who will be happy. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Right. No one is going to come out happy as a result of this uh,
3: taking no, place. No, because you're always going to have someone say, hey, wait a second, why did that person get the million dollars or the five million or whatever the number is? And I didn't because I didn't check off which box. Did you say something, John, even in your investigation here that like Barack Obama would not be, um, eligible for something along these lines right so the standard in california is that you have to as uh, they uh, the proposed
2: standard we should say it's not the final one they could change it is you have to be a, uh, a black person theoretically who descends uh from uh free or uh, enslaved people who were in the united states in the 19th century so barack obama uh has a white mother and a father from Kenya. So he does not have, he does not descend from people who were free blacks in the 19th century or were enslaved blacks in the 19th century. So he would not uh, qualify, but his kids would qualify because um, Michelle Obama would qualify. Now, that's if they were in California, right? That's if they were living in California. by Right. Just as an example. though, Right. Right. But it's just an example. So a lot of immigrants, Jamaicans, Nigerians, um, black people who may have arrived in the early 20th century. Would not uh, would as a result not qualify, Um, and now that was controversial because those are people who lived through redlining and all sorts of policies that were discriminatory in the early and middle part of the 20th century, but not in the 19th century. So um, yeah, it, it was controversial. That was approved on a five to four vote. It was very close. If you had changed. Just one person on that task force, the vote might have come out five to four in favor of, of the broader definition. Right, right. And it so was... I mean, what that shows you is five to four shows people are not happy. It's very close, and there's a lot of people who are disappointed with
3: that, uh, with that designation, with that delineation as to who qualifies, who, that eligibility standard. John Morosky is with us from Real Clear Investigations. Here's the thing, though. We're only talking about the African-American reparations uh, from descendants of slaves in theory. But this is what's fascinating to me about your piece, because you get into how this reparations movement is much bigger and wider than we even probably think it is. Right, John?
2: Yeah. So really what I'm writing about, I give examples of California, and uh, and I also draw on the— book by William Darity. He's a preeminent reparations expert, of, or one of the preeminent reparations experts of, his, of, of our generation. And he wrote a book called From Here to Equality. Um, and it's a it's a case for reparations. And so I use that book, and I use it with the California example to show what reparations for blacks would look like, because there are many other movements that are arising around the world that are drawing uh, their uh, rhetoric the arguments and inspiration from the black reparations movement. And they are, I'll just list them to, to, for you what they are gay reparations, climate reparations, colonial reparations, university reparations, and Roman Catholic reparations for officially, for the church officially sanctioning colonization, slavery, and genocide in the New World. And so there are, <clears throat> these are largely global
3: movement even the university reparations movement has what is that what is that specifically john what, university the university yeah
2: um, so universities were either built uh, partially
3: or to some extent by slave labor for oh example, i see the university of virginia yep. missouri university of missouri the allegation is about mizzou as well sure okay
2: yeah and there's number there's a number of those um and they uh or the very wealthy founders of these universities like um yale the, the founder of yale Became wealthy through the slave trade. Either had either he was a slave trader, or he was investing in shipping, or he was just investing in the colonies, like in the West Indies. And so the money uh, came from like sugar plantations and molasses plantations, you know, rum, rum operations, and things like that. And so this is presumed to be immorally, immoral, ill-gotten gains by our standards. And so the um, uh, people of African descent who did all that labor should be entitled to scholarships, to uh, monuments, to remembrance projects, uh, atonement, apologies, you know, various forms of uh, compensation from the universities. There's over 100 universities, and it's, it's around the world. It's not just – it's in England, in Scotland, I think in Canada, Australia. I think there may be some in South America as well.
3: What what are – you even refer to a book in here that was written in 2021 called The Case for Gay Reparations. All right, I'll bite. What are gay reparations about? Yeah, that's actually an interesting book. I would recommend that people buy
2: it read it. It's actually pretty short, and it has a lot of interesting history. So <clears throat> gay reparations gets into – in the 20th century around the um, – so homosexuality has always existed, but there was never really – it's not until people moved into large cities – that something arose called a gay culture uh, and then there was a reaction to that. It was, homosexuality was severely criminalized in, in Spain, in Germany, uh, in Canada, and also in the United States there was something called the Lavender Scare where five to 10,000 employees of the federal government were suspected of being quote-unquote perverts and they were fired. Some of them ended up in mental hospitals, some of them ended up in behind bars, some of them, a few of them, committed suicide, but they suffered um, financially and economically and psychologically for their, you know, sexual conduct. And so, gay reparations seeks to actually compensate specific named victims who are still alive. So it's not just cash to anybody who claims they're gay. You you have to be a person who actually lost their job, ended up, you know, uh, in a mental hospital being you know treated for the illness of homosexuality that that makes a whole lot more sense doesn't it
3: yeah not not that i'd have to look at the different cases but that that certainly makes a whole lot more sense if you can draw a direct correlation right
2: i think that one makes sense in this in the sense that uh it's, it's specific people for specific policies who were who were who suffered very specific actions, and so gay reparations is somewhat similar, I think, to a eugenics program where there are individuals who were sterilized, or to the Japanese reparations to Japanese people, uh, Japanese Americans who were interned in those World War II internment camps. So, these this is more of a specific kind of reparations for specific actions. I recommend the book. It's it's very interesting. It has a lot of interesting history, um, and um, and, you know, it, it gives the history of what happened in Germany, in Canada, in, in England and in the United States. It's uh, very easy to read. And you could probably, you know, it's, you know, it's probably, what, 200 pages? It's a real short. Yeah, it's a, it's a really short book. It's, it's shorter. It's 164 pages. It's a, it's almost like a long magazine article. It's very easy to read and very interesting.
3: So, I mean, I know that you even refer to some jokes about people saying, look, when, when do the fat people get to get cut in on this, right? There are always jokes about it because
2: the 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 sort of African-American reparations is so ambitious and takes in an entire country's history for centuries. Um, And it comes up with calculations that are, you know, these economic um, damages, these economic calculations for how much black people are owed. There isn't a single way to do it. But everybody who makes a calculation sort of makes the claim that theirs is the objective, factual way that you would that you would you know, calculate damages, financial damages. So as a result, (laughs) people, you know, will say, well then, you know, who's gonna be next? Fat people, short people, bald people. Because they also, you know, obviously they those people suffered some discrimination. Obviously they weren't redlined and they weren't banned from taking you know, but probably, you know, they may have not gotten a job or a promotion or who knows if you were short, fat, and bald, it probably didn't help you in your life. Although, you know, I mean, that's just a joke. Nobody's gonna right. No, I, I get that,
3: but we have uh, yeah. victim culture that certainly would like to sign on to any of this. Great stuff, John. Yeah, I appreciate the, yeah, coming it, on it, here it's talking a about it. mentality. Yeah, right. But obviously, we're going to keep talking about it because a lot of people don't want to make this go away. But I appreciate the investigation. Thank you, John Morosky. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you very much. All Thanks right. Take care. Yep. Really appreciate it. But well, we're going to allow our anti-woke liberal friend Bill Maher to walk us through some history here when it comes to revolutions. And I think he did a pretty good job here of connecting some dots. He also alerted to me alerted me rather to a case that I was unfamiliar with, a case about this guy named Jason Kilborn, who is a law professor at the University of Chicago, where I guess technically still is. And I'll get to that here in a second. I'm not exactly sure how I missed this case, but I guess I did. And If I had talked about it, I probably had not talked about it in great Detail, But here's Bill Maher kind of talking about, because this has become a theme, and, you know, I think at this point maybe people do or don't know that he's going to get a uh, a show on CNN here relatively soon on Friday nights. But this is from the HBO show.
1: New rule, if you're part of today's woke revolution, you need to study the part of revolutions where they spin out of control because the revolutionaries get so drunk on their own purifying elixir, they imagine they can reinvent the very nature of human beings. Communists, communists thought selfishness, selfishness, could be cast out of human nature. Russian revolutionaries spoke of the new Soviet man, who wasn't motivated by self-interest, but instead wanted to be part of a collective. No, it turns out he wanted to be on a yacht in a Gucci tracksuit mm-hmm. holding a
3: yeah. vodka and a prostitute. Pretty much. Not standing in line all day for a potato. So he he makes some good points here, uh, and I want to allow him to do that before this story about Jason Kilborn and just how some of this stuff gets out of control and has over the course of history. The
1: problem with communism and with some very recent ideologies here at home is that they think you can change reality by screaming at it, that you can bend human nature by holding your breath, but that's the difference between reality and your mommy. (laughs) lincoln once said that you can repeal all past history but you still cannot repeal human nature but he's canceled now so him.
3: Yeah, so I guess one of the questions would be with with everything that's thrown in your face on the transgenderism in particular, is that changing anyone's minds? I and I make a very strong case. I mentioned earlier in the show that for whatever reason it's very confusing. Corey Bush is bringing Mike Brown senior to the State of the Union. I don't know why the the whole thing that happened eight years ago doesn't relate to anything that's happened with policing now, but they want to use that as as some example. Um, But anyway, I'll get back to that here in a second, because he makes one more point. In
1: China, we saw how a revolutionary thought he could do a page one rewrite of humans. (laughs) Mao ordered his citizens to throw off the four olds. Old thinking, old culture, old customs and old habits. So um, your whole life went in the garbage overnight. No biggie. And those who resisted were attacked by an army of purifiers called the Red Guard Guard who went around the country putting dunce caps on people.
3: So this this is real, and he does a TV show and he's showing pictures of people in communist China with dunce caps on their heads. Yeah, who didn't take to being a new kind of mortal being. A lot of pointing and shaming went
1: on. Oh, and about a million dead. And the only way to survive was to plead insanity for the crime of being insufficiently radical, then apologize and thank the state for the chance to see what a piece of you are. And of course,
3: submit to re-education, or as we call it here in America, freshman orientation. (laughs) That's a great line. Now, keep in mind, we're coming off Fred telling us a week ago on this show that as counter-programming for the football games last Saturday during the AFC and the MFC championship game, what was it? Was it the Sun it wasn't Sundance Channel, was it? It was one of the channels was doing a Gilligan's Island uh, yes. you know, marathon. Yes. And they put a content warning up about Gilligan's Island. Yeah. That you're you're getting well, I watched something. I kinda every once in a while I slip into a movie, you know it was on the other night and I kept watching it, uh, Trading Places, 1983. Oh my gosh, I love that so, movie. Do you know it, it, and it holds up. However, Dan Aykroyd wears blackface. If you remember the scene Ooh. when they try to pay back the brothers over the bet, he wears. Black, and I'm thinking, that. oh my God, you couldn't, you certainly couldn't do that nope. these days. But listen to this example that Bill Maher uses here, Jason Kilbourne. I'll tell you a little bit more about Jason Kilbourne in a second. But this is horrifying, and this is what's happening. And you'd have to ask yourself. Well, maybe you wouldn't, because these are rhetorical questions. Why wouldn't the case of Jason Kilborn be covered a little bit more often in the legacy media? There's
1: a law professor at the University of Illinois, Chicago, named Jason Kilborn, whose crime was that on one of his exams... He used a hypothetical case where a black female worker sued her employer for race and gender discrimination, alleging that managers had called her two slur words, the type of real world case these students might one day confront.
3: This is one of those stories that when you hear the details, most of you are going to scratch your, I think all of you, let's face it, if you're black, white, I don't care what color, you're going to say, what? This actually became an issue. And this is how wimpy, it's It's a complete We talked about the wussification of America. This country is so full of wimps, not only from the perspective of the little namby-pamby students who get their feelings hurt on a regular basis because they're triggered, but the wimpy professors and the people in academia that make me want to vomit with their reactions. And here's a perfect example of that.
1: And knowing the extreme sensitivity of today's students, he didn't write the two taboo words on the test, just the first letter of each. He was teaching his students how to fight racism in the place where it matters most, the criminal justice system. But because he merely alluded to those words, again, in the service of a good cause, he was banned from campus, placed on indefinite leave, and made to wear the dunce cap.
3: This goes back to December of 2020, when Professor Kilbourne, in his exam, which, um, concerned civil procedure, used this hypothetical case about a black female manager suing a former employer, charging that she had been fired because of her race and gender. She alleged that other managers had called her the N-word, and he puts N, he doesn't put the whole word, and a, and even says, um, you know, obviously it's, it's clearly a hypothetical case, but he uses the B-word, which I'm guessing would be, um, rhymes with which? I, I don't know. But it's the N-word, I'm sure, that set people off. <laughs> No, not really the dunce cap part, but
1: but our American version of that. Eight weeks of sensitivity training, weekly 90-minute sessions with a diversity trainer, and having to write five self-reflection papers, a grown-ass man, a liberal law professor. If you can't see the similarities between that and this... The person who need, needs re-education is
3: you. Yeah, he, I mean, Bill Maher is absolutely right. So what happened here? There's a little bit more to the story, in fairness. But he um, he gets flagged by these students because they're triggered because he uses a racial slur. So he's he's summoned to a meeting with the law school's dean because the dean was told he used a racial slur on the exam. At this point, this should be done. This should be over. It's a case but but this is where the law professor should say why the dean of the law school should say yeah okay big deal he didn't use the word he you're trying right. we're trying to prepare you for the real world and the real world isn't well maybe it is now it is where everyone gets triggered and has to say oh my feelings are hurt it's stunning but it doesn't go there right he sends Uh, he, He sent a note to his class expressing regret if his hypothetical had distressed anyone, all right? So he sends a note saying, I'm sorry. Doesn't matter. Three weeks later, he's placed on indefinite administrative leave. His class is canceled for the entire semester. He's banned from campus. Bill Maher went over all this. All because the head of the University of Illinois-Chicago Office for Access and Equity had a conversation with a student. Now, this is a lawsuit right now. This is why we know all this stuff, because he's suing, and he's going to win this lawsuit. Let's face it. There's no way that he's not going to win this lawsuit. On January 6th, after this all happens, the, the first incident was in November of 2020, so now we're in 2021, the Black Law Students Association invited people to report if they had ever been affected by Professor Kilborn, The next day, about an hour into a four-hour remote electronic conversation with a member of the association, Kilbourne was asked why the law dean had not shown him a student petition complaining about the uh, racial and gendered slurs. Oh, gendered slurs. Oh, that's what it was. The B word is a gendered slur. In the exam question, Kilbourne said perhaps the dean thought abusive things said about Kilbourne in the petition might make him become homicidal. All right. So he, he throws that out there within four days, that student reports that Kilbourne had exclaimed that he was feeling homicidal. So then the law school Dean, this is where it gets even more comical triggers something called the UIC violence prevention plan, which triggered then a behavioral threat assessment team that Without communicating with Kilborn, authorized the dean, who teaches law, let's remember, to impose severe punishments without any kind of due process. This is. What? This is. Okay, let's go back to the China examples, right? In the communist, um, you know, comparisons that Bill Maher was making. That is what we're living in. And this is academic freedom at the Good. University of Chicago.
5: Raving.
3: It's horrific, and it, it just—it really does make me sick to my stomach.
0: Get more at 971talk.com.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.